Do you guys want to introduce yourselves first, and then we can uh, start on the agenda? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, I am um, Chad Bearford. I'm one of the core devs in the project. Been with it for a very long period of time, um, and like like to advocate and talk about and educate people on this on this product and its merits. Well, I'm uh, I'm Chad Thoreau. Uh, I am a first and foremost community member, big fan of ThorChain, and uh, doing my best to help educate and hosting spaces and doing some education for ThorSwap and things like that. And we also have a Flipside Crypto that's here. Uh, if you want to just say a couple words before we start. Yeah. Hi, everybody. Uh, my name is Kellen. I'm here. I'm a data scientist with Flipside Crypto and uh, also very much a ThorChain enthusiast and excited to be with you guys today. We should pull up uh, Orion on the stage as well because he's probably the best person to talk about uh, synth war games and such. Yeah, agreed. Uh, let's see if Orion's available. I'll send an invite. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm, uh, hey, I'm uh, Orion. I uh, uh, work at uh, Nine Realms uh, helping to build uh, helping to build Thorchain. And yeah, super excited to be here. Hey, good morning. Awesome. Uh, so now that you're here, Orion, maybe you could start off on uh, letting us know what what synths are and what is going on with uh, synths on StageNet coming very, very soon that we talked about yesterday. Yeah, sure. So so for everyone uh, uh, in the community, so synths are a um, a backed kind of representation of assets on on ThorChain. The idea with Synths is that you have, um, you know, your native asset and Rune, and you can mint a Synth by um, by uh, using that combination to to have uh, the the Synth that then represents the that asset. So you'd have that backed by fifty percent, like Bitcoin, for example, and then fifty percent Rune, um, and then you have this asset that's native to ThorChain that can be. Um, you know, swapped very easily, um, much faster than than regular native assets, um, and then uh, that also provides the foundation for uh, Thor five features coming uh, down the line. Um, so this is kind of the first step towards um, that kind of feature set rolling out. Um, and so what we're doing right now is launching the Thor games, which is an opportunity for the community to hack on the uh, kind of logic around since um, to make sure that it's been, you know, as battle tested as it possibly can be in an environment that is as close to um, kind of the main uh, Thor chain as possible. Um, and that's where kind of StageNet comes in. Uh, for folks that aren't aware, StageNet is uh, basically a kind of a clone of ThorChain, um, but that is uh, much, much smaller and guarded. Um, it's entirely controlled by uh, Nine Realms right now, just so that we have, you know, kind of complete um, uh, control to make sure that everything is working properly. We can roll out fixes really fast and we can test everything uh, there. And then, you know, once we're comfortable with it, then it would move over into uh, uh, in, onto ThorChain. So that's kind of the the high level piece here. Um, Thor Games is an event that we're we've are just get, about to launch probably next week sometime. Um, and the idea there is, uh, you know, yeah, getting folks into the code base, 
um, letting people, you know, come up with weird uh, economic uh, situations with synths to just see if we can find all of the edge cases um, in the wild and, you know, get those all addressed. Um, there's a whole a kind of bounty program um, as people find things, you know, there's a whole submission process uh, so that we can get these things addressed. Um, I'm anticipating a couple rounds of this where, you know, folks will find issues, um, will uh, close the games, fix those, and then have another round. Well, cool. so I think you had said the first one might run for like a week or so. So it sounds like after that, then, you know, maybe you would pause for a bit and then perhaps like run a, a second or third round of the same sort of uh, timing. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, thanks. So the the Thor or the um the first Thor games will run for seven days, and when when it uh, we get kind of the green light, we'll choose a starting block and ending block. Um, and the idea there is that we want to kind of concentrate all of the activity in a period of time, so that you know as we're going through uh, to kind of understand the uh, behavior of what's happening, we have kind of a, a bounded period of time to look look back at, and. Um, uh, yeah, so we're going to run it for a week. You know, if uh, if there aren't any you know vulnerabilities disclosed or, or the community feels like we need more time, we can continue continue running it. But that's the plan for now. It's possible that like we might find um, some sort of uh, vulnerability, of some kind, or some sort of critical issue. In which case, we can we can patch that on StageNet and then you know rerun the test again and have people once again be on it. But it all depends on. Everything's kind of somewhat dynamic, so it's kind of hard to predict. But uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what actually happens, and we'll respond appropriately to what that is. Yeah, can we say uh, how, like, what the bounties are, and how people like how the actual submitting of an issue would go? Yeah, sure. So, so there's kind of three um, uh, kind of tiers of uh, vulnerabilities. There's a P two vulnerabilities, which are like small. Uh, exploits or kind of usability or or kind of little annoying um, issues, and those have a have rune bounties of of twenty five rune. Um, the idea there is that you know we want to we want to make sure that that the user experience is good and that you know everything everything is is smooth. So if, if folks find things that are uh, um, you know in that kind of P two class that we can get those addressed and then there's p1 which are larger vulnerabilities where you know with with your or with a particular exploit you can manipulate pool price or extract some incremental value over time and those have uh, bounties of 500 rune and then uh, we have p0 which are like critical vulnerabilities where you know you're able to extract a lot of um, value out of the out of stage net and those have uh, bounties of 10,000 rune. Um, so the the idea with the tiers is that we want folks looking uh, kind of at each at each level um, and then of course like prioritizing critical vulnerabilities uh, and that's all reflected in the in the bounties. Um, the submission process is that um, and this is all in a, in a notion doc um, that I'm all um, share out later, but the uh, submission process is to uh, send an email to thorgames at ninerealms.co um, and including, you know, transaction hashes, timeline of events, and a description of the vulnerability. And then um, Nine Realms and Thorsec will review that and then, you know, get back to folks that have uh, put in a submission. And then there will be a... Um, Another section in the Notion doc, uh, uh, kind of on the on the disclosures and a write up um, of what was found. 
Um, but all of that will that will happen over time. And uh, yeah, that, that's kind of the plan. So if people are interested in uh, participating in these games, where can they find the Notion documents with the, the scope and all, all of this information typed out? Where, where is that located? Yeah, so the, the best place to go is hop into the ThorChain dev Discord. And there's a Thor Games channel. Um, and uh, pinned in that channel uh, are, are all of these resources. Um, I'll also get a, a, a tweet out with uh, kind of the highlights so that folks have a place to start. Um, there's also been a number of videos that folks have put out, both as an, kind of as an overview of, of this Thor Games round. And, uh, um, you know, Chad was generous to, to do a code walkthrough yesterday so that folks can have some context around where to start looking at SynthLogic. Awesome. Yeah. <clears throat> really exciting to see this finally here and uh, start to get battle tested. And then hopefully in just a few weeks, uh, the broader community can be using these things. <clears throat> so um, anything else to touch on on Thor games or we could move uh, with since or or ready to move on to some Terra update? Um, I just say that, uh, yeah, I'm really excited for this kind of pattern around uh, having Thor games for new features. Um, you know, we're still learning around like what the process should look like and what what's going to work the best but yeah I'm, I'm excited to you know have this as a kind of part of our you know the development of the network where we're able to like push features to stage net you know have a have an opportunity for folks to to hack on stuff and then you know do a few few iterations of that so i think it's going to be a powerful a powerful thing to let us speed up uh, development smart yeah another like new process oriented thing that'll just allow like all these new feature rollouts to be more smooth and have more of a more of a scheduled like organized way of rolling them out uh to ensure safety and everything's working good so yeah props props to that <laughs> cool i think uh yeah i think we could move on to some of these <clears throat> some of the updates with terra coming um it, do we have pluto in here we had on the notes that pluto might be best to handle that one uh, no, I think Pluto's taking a day off, so I can ah. probably field it in his in his stead. Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, what's going on with Terra? Yeah. So, uh, so in Terra, we found a bug around um, uh, decimals. So, in Bitcoin, there's a one e eight or like eight decimal points. That's how it kind of measures how many satoshis, how much sats, how many Bitcoin is in, well, how many satoshis in that sat, or what sats in Bitcoin, excuse me. Uh, most chains do like 1E8. Uh, Thorchain also does 1E8. With the exception of Ethereum, they do like 1E18, I think it is. But uh, Terra was the first one we've ever seen, or first chain we've seen when they do it less than 1E8. So it's like they actually do 1E6. So that bug caused some issues uh, in the network. Uh, and also caused some uh, bugs around how it calculates gas as well. So we're kind of working those things out as well. But uh, Terra is uh, up and running again, finally. Uh, we did a, a first churn, which moved all the uh, Terra assets as well, which is really, really good. Um, and uh, yeah, there's more work to do around the final approval, uh, which will be probably next week um, with the ThorSec team to, to validate the uh, code, make sure things on the level from a security perspective. Um, we'll probably begin the mainnet rollout um, probably in a week or two. Hopefully, um, and have Terra out by the end of the month. Okay, um, we'll have Terra done and running on mainnet by the end of the month, which will be great. 
Yeah, very exciting. I just went uh, over to StageNet on ThorSwap, and I, I I see that everything's back up. I see nine hundred dollars of Luna liquidity. So <laughs> the, first, <laughs> the first seed has been planted. There's uh, there, there's real Luna trading on ThorChain StageNet, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's getting pretty close at this point. Um, there's a few minor bugs to work out, and we we want the the core team and the ThorSec team to spend more time on that code base, make sure everything is uh, good from a security perspective, and have it all audited and that kind of stuff. And once everybody gives it the thumbs up and we'll feel it's good, strong, all that kind of stuff, we'll roll it out to mainnet and uh, the network will now support um, UST and uh, Luna, but will not support uh, CW20s at this time. Right. And, and just so people understand, like it won't, it won't directly, but with like aggregator stuff coming, like there will be plenty of, it'll become extremely easy to, to still do that even without the direct pool. Right. Right. That's, that's the intention is that we'll, we'll set up some aggregators uh, on each chain. And so you can start with a CW20 on TerraSwap, for example, or you can start with like an asset on Osmosis or whatever and be able to swap through those decentralized ex- exchanges into ThorChain and then end up in whatever asset you're trying to get to on whatever chain you're trying to get to. That's going to be super powerful. Uh, and like, in my opinion, it's going to, to reshape the usability of DEXs entirely, not just for ThorChain, but for every DEX in the industry. And, and I mean that in a literal sense. Uh, because all of a sudden, every DEX in the industry has access to every asset and every chain in the industry. <laughs> like, that's pretty, uh, it's a kind of a ludicrous statement, but it's like 100% dead on. <laughs> it's going to be amazing. Yeah, it's insane. I, I keep thinking how, like, this kind of gives the name DEX, like, its true definition, finally. Like, whereas for the past couple of years, it's really just meant, like, Ethereum DEX or... Or, right. or Terra Dex or Solana Dex. And now it's like, no, no, like Dex Dex. Like this is actually a de- every every one of these like island Dexes uh, can potentially become a true Dex like by plugging right. in. Yeah, super and exciting. It, the, and the funny thing is like, it's just another mechanism and, or another attribute that like Dexes will destroy centralized exchanges because they all have to go through a very rigorous process and technological exploration, blah, blah, blah. It takes months upon months upon months to add a new asset to uh, a centralized exchange. Whereas now DEXs, you know, will be able to do that much more efficiently, much more quickly. And then every DEX has access to that, to that new asset, that new chain or whatever that is, like <laughs> instantaneously, right? <laughs> like that just... That just is uh, another way that central exchanges will be just behind the, behind DEXs in a sense. So it's be behind on assets, behind on liquidity, behind on so many ways. Even fees will be cheaper on DEXs than the central exchanges. So central exchanges are have you know their their days are numbered in some sense, and every day that passes is just a day that their clock kind of runs down. Yeah, me and Cow were talking on a space yesterday, and it's it, it's also exciting because like not only does this give like those products uh more customer base because it like allows more ways in and stuff like more chains can come right in but it also like gives all these products like another revenue stream by like being able to take um a fee on this cross-chain swap that they weren't doing anyway so it's like bringing in new people and it's a profitable uh revenue stream that they're integrating right and it's it's also profitable for like lps within torching as well because 
you know, all of a sudden a lot more trade volume can, can pass through our, our liquidity pools, which of course is going to generate more yield for both node operators and LPs, which is of course, of course going to cause more people to add you know, liquidity because they want to get in on that on that ju juicy, juicy yield, so to speak, uh, <clears throat> which causes pools to get deeper, which causes more buy pressure in the rune asset, but like this whole, you know, uh, black hole thing really kind of takes off in a sense. And do you think that the uh, that synths and Luna and adding all these new chains really help towards that uh, positive feedback loop? They they all kind of build up on each other and they they add positive pressure in in ways. Yeah. So whenever we add a new chain, a new asset, it's always um, net positive in terms of its like effect on the room price or effect on the, on the four chain network. The only time it's negative is on the network itself is, you know, any security related risks that they might be introducing into the, into the ecosystem. But um, whenever you add a new chain, you're also adding new pools and those pools need to be added to liquidity. Um, and of course, uh, people on, on the core team, along with Nine Realms, are, are kind of working some back rooms in a sense to to talk to to whales and very different uh, different ecosystems to kind of get them to contribute and, and add a bunch of you know rune and, and asset into the new you know Luna pool, for example, right? And try to get that that pool to be deep as uh, as we can recently get to start with. Um, yeah, that's all net positive for the for, for the ecosystem for sure. Yeah, and I think a lot of people are really looking forward to the Luna pool coming online and uh, adding liquidity there. It's going to be great having another really low gas chain on the network because those uh, we, we, we've seen this with the, the BNB chain, how high those uh, APYs are, how much trade volume goes through them because of the, the low fees that are associated with them. So uh, once, once Luna and UST are on the network, uh, I'm sure that'll be uh just really positive all around and it, it brings a lot of exposure to that community and those people as well yeah i, I think that's true in sense because like when we added the dogecoin for example we had to like create a brand new relationship with the doge community because they're, they're not really aware of thorchain because they're you know doge people or whatever but like terra and 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 thorchain have very overlapping communities like there's a lot of people who, in our community who are big rune fans but they're also big luna fans right and so there's a big like, kind of and that their venn diagram you know that's a, there's a large overlap between those two communities so as soon as we add terra and, and ust um i think those will get more liquidity more trades more swaps more deeper pools than we saw for you know comparison to, to doge for example yeah, huge overlap there. And, and similar to even with rolling out Doge, how we talked about this like fundamentally changing Doge, like it does that with with every chain that's integrated because here we have UST, which is like the mission of being a truly decentralized stablecoin. And now like that can be the, the that could be the highest volume uh stablecoin on Thorchain. I mean, I think there's a really good shot at that. And then now that UST is directly linked to all these other native assets on other chains. So uh, right. similarly, like this is adding more function to to Terra and um, allowing all that liquidity to go in and out of Terra to all the other chains. So, Yeah, absolutely. Like the, the number one stable coin on Thor chain right now is BUSD. And the main reason why that is, in my opinion, is is two two things. One is the, the block time is very fast. It's like 300 milliseconds or something like that for, for, for Binance Chain. But also because the gas prices are very cheap on Binance Chain. So if you want to like 
risk on, risk off, you know, your BDC investment, you might be swapping from BUSD to Bitcoin, BUSD to Bitcoin or whatever. And that's just much more efficient in terms of capital, in terms of cost. And so rather than go into like, you know, USDC, which is going to be a lot more expensive because of gas fees and, and timing and all this kind of stuff. But once we have USD on the system, it's, it's a good uh, possibility that USD will surpass BUSD um, as like the, the, the kind of the favorite stable coin. And I would argue that that's likely to happen, just in my personal opinion, just because um, um, USD is just a far better design for a stable coin than I, than I would consider BUSD. I don't really trust centralized corporations personally. And, you know, you have to trust Binance Corporation to, to, to feel good about the, the BUSD peg. And, you know, and they, they, they do, to be fair, they do a good job of it all, but, but I'd, rather, I'd rather trust a centralized economic model than, than a, you know, CZ to get it right, you know? 100%. Yeah, I, I think you're spot on. I think it's used right now because it's the it's the cheap, fast option that we have. But I don't see anyone, uh, you know, putting BUSD in their Twitter name or something like that. Like, it's not something people are necessarily as passionate about as UST, which like really stands for something similar to absolutely. Chain. Yeah, same way as like Thorchain really stands for something like they, they go hand in hand. So uh, yeah, it's going to be number one, I think. Yeah, I mean, if you care about USD, if you're a fan of USD, I can probably infer from that that you care about decentralization, right? And now for the first time, you can trade UST in a decentralized way um, to other assets like Bitcoin and Ethereum and everything else in the space. And that's like, I mean, that's really big for the Terra community, for sure. Like, they're all about essential, just decentralized stable coins and this stuff. And the fact that you can use a centralized, a stable, a centralized exchange to go from Bitcoin to USD is, is kind of like defeats the point to some degree, right? And then all of a sudden with ThorChain, like, we're going to allow you to swap your Bitcoin to um, USD in a relatively cheap fashion, you know, as, as cheap as, as we can reasonably get, right? And they will get cheaper and cheaper the, the deeper the pools get, just naturally speaking. So, uh, I'm super excited about it, and the Terra community uh, should be super excited about it as well. It's also uh, worth mentioning that any app in the Terra community, any any service, can integrate uh, ThorChain and then access liquidity of Bitcoin, of uh, let's say Bitcoin Cash, or like oh, any other coin that's on the network, native Dogecoin, for example, and then they can access that liquidity uh, to power their apps. So if they if they're a completely Luna based service or, or token or whatever, uh, they could integrate the service on their app. And that, that it could also serve as another revenue stream through uh, affiliate fees and, and whatnot. So th there's a lot more that ThorChain powers than just the, the ThorChain pools. It can enable other businesses to, uh, to operate and expand their own customer base through the currencies that they accept and offer. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'd, I'd add one other thing I'm really excited about is um, that a super deep kind of concentrated UST liquidity on ThorChain, you know, also is like uh, is defensive for kind of the UST peg as well. Uh, you know, if there's a, you know, a billion dollar um, pool of UST, you know, it would take a lot of uh, pressure in order to to move that off the peg. Um, so I think that it also provides kind of this defensive um a tool for the whole community, uh, you know, both for across uh, kind of the Terra ecosystem. For sure. Hey, yeah. Ryan and, and Chad, I believe that the deepest stablecoin pool on ThorChain is always a dollar. So that way, if uh, UST were to 
become the deepest stablecoin uh, pool on Thorchain, then it, it would essentially be pegged on, on Thorchain at a dollar as well, correct? Uh, yeah, I guess so. I think it depends on how it's going to put the UIs and how they display like the price of rooms. That's me. Yeah, I'm talking about just like, just maintaining the peg as the as the pool gets deeper and it becomes the deepest liquidity pool on Thorchain. Then uh, it, it, I, I was just reiterating what Orion was saying that it does help. Uh, it helps the peg and it helps it you know maintain its status at the at a dollar. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Deeper I mean, like- it is. Prices on Thorchain are just set by the market. Like they're they're not some kind of Oracle feed thing. Like it's just pools and arbitrage and stuff like that. So if UST becomes a you know billion plus depth pool, then that's actually helping because it's another it's another revenue stream for our our bots to help maintain the UST peg on Thorchain. Because if it got off, then they could profit on that arbitrage by you know, sending that USC out, burn mint, whatever, uh, to close the, to close the ARB. So yeah, actually can help if one, it's a huge, uh, it's a huge, uh, place for like deep UST and obviously all lunatics want to see deep use cases for UST. And then plus that it actually could help maintain the peg once it gets, once it gets really deep. Yeah. The deeper the pool is, the more capital that's required to, to alter the price, right? So if the, if the pool, if, if you have a, you know, X cost X amount of dollars to, you know, change the price by one penny, for example, at one depth, if the depth doubles and it probably costs, you know, at least double, if not more to actually change that price by a penny. So, it, it, so the, the amount of pressure that's required to, to destabilize the dollar uh, the peg, it becomes increasingly high the deeper the pool becomes, which is which is really nice. It kind of becomes more and more secure in some sense. Awesome, yeah. I mean, the Terra integration is endlessly exciting. I, I would, I'd be down to talk just about that for like three hours. Uh, we, but we should maybe we can move on to um, the uh, the point about uh, going all in on Thorchain security. So um, I believe this was tied to the uh, the unlocks and like. Um, things like that and going into node bonds. So, uh, yeah, what's going on there? Yeah. So, uh, as you can, okay. Yeah. Uh, so you can, as you can probably have guessed, like in the earliest days of Thorchain, uh, when the token was first launched, the depth to room token back in, like, I think it was like, uh, July or something like this, 2019 or whatever it was. Um, the, there were a few kind of like key investors at that time who invested a good amount of money into the, into the product to give the, the network, the community of the project, uh, the treasury more accurately, uh, a bunch of funds to be able to start hiring people and paying salaries and, and you know, buying AWS infrastructure to start building and coding and building this thing. And so they have coins that have been locked this entire time, right? So they, they've acquired the Rune asset, but they haven't, like, the treasury, the the treasury hasn't actually given them the room quite yet. It's almost like a promise that you're going to get this room. And that's there in part because we want to make sure that the early investors don't like see a 10 X and then just like dump. So the room goes to 10 cents because they bought it one penny, I think. Uh, and then it goes to 10 cents and then just like dump it all. Like, oh, Cause that's great. Like a 10 X on your investments, a really great thing. And we didn't want that. Right. So, and this is common that almost every project does this to some extent. And so, uh, there's an unlock, there's a, a, there's a lock period of how long the, the rune is locked and then an unlock period of like how it gets rolled out, blah, 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 and all this stuff. And they've been waiting this patiently this entire time to, to get their runes in a sense. Uh, and, and so 
the team wanted, the court dev team wanted to make sure that uh, all that room that's going to be, you know, dispersed to those people in the future is going to be, you know, utilized room instead of instead of being, you know, dumped on the market or whatever and, and pushing the room price down. Uh, that room we put to work and to add security to the network and add to the bond of the network. And so there was just a series of conversations that uh, the core people had with uh, some of those investors to kind of. Uh, come to an agreed upon terms of, you know, we'll give you this the kind of room kind of earlier than we initially said. And, you you know, as long as you abide by these rules of, you know, you put the room that you're getting, you're going to run, you know, a node or several nodes, whatever it is, um, to provide security to the network. And then, you know, you'll have some unlocked thing. You can keep the yield that's, uh, that's being generated. You can sell that off if you want to. Um, and then you can do that for like, I think it's like 12 months or something like this. And so, they, so that kind of helps keep the, uh, the security of the network deep uh, and adds more room so we can push to that 100 node uh, limit that we're looking for at the current moment so that we can start once we get to that 100 node limit and then it becomes a, a, a battle, a capital, capitalistic battle to, to still operate nodes. And so more room will be naturally added to each individual's uh, node, node and kind of increase the, the bond uh, over time. That, I mean, that's it in a nutshell, which was really positive for the community. Yeah, I love this. So basically you're taking something that people are typically concerned about, right? It's like early investors and potential dumping. And you're taking this concern and like actually flipping it into the very thing that strengthens the network and allows more liquidity to come in. So, uh, yeah, quite the, quite the way of turning that into something that really actually, uh, is, is so positive for the network. So that's an awesome agreement to put in place. Yeah. I, I think it's like, uh, I think it's like 25 million rune or something like this in total. That's going to be rolled out over a long period of time. Yeah. I think each month they get a little bit unlocked and then each month they get a little bit more unlocked and they just keep on adding, kind of building more nodes and adding to the, to the network and, um, that should be more than enough needed to get to that 100 node cap. And then everybody starts kind of competing with each other to, to maintain their node. Speaking of how much Rune is bonded to the network, uh, they were just, we just raised the caps, I believe, uh, two days ago. Not we, but uh, the caps were raised two days ago. It's 24 million Rune. So there's currently just about 4 million Rune uh, in, in room for liquidity to be, to be added to to the network so uh yeah so chad do you want to talk a little bit about the uh about the caps and uh what will be going on with the caps in the future yeah sure so as everybody knows there's caps in place uh to limit the amount of liquidity on the network and that's because um we just wanted to to kind of have a more guarded approach to, to launching uh thorchain and to kind of scale it up over time slowly rather than just trying to like build everything now and launch everything today then we don't have all these problems like we don't want to be in that scenario so we put the caps in place that kind of limit to, to curb the caps slowly uh, as the security of the network increases the, the caps were increased with it and so we kind of both the security and the lp um but together we kind of move in a synchronous way you know to up to larger and larger amounts um, but we're getting to a place where like that's becoming less and less useful in a sense because uh, the amount of liquidity in the network is getting larger and larger and um, the need for these caps is becoming smaller and smaller. 
right? And so I think the intention that um, core devs have is that uh, every week we'll probably be increasing the caps by about two million room, whether it's needed or not. Just keep on adding, you know, more or less blindly for the uh, for the next few weeks until it gets to basically where the, the hard cap is, and the hard cap is just the total amount of room in the bond uh, will not be more than the total amount of room in the pools. And at that point, then we'll just like kill the cap entirely. Because at that point, you don't need the soft cap anymore. And that's just a major step towards this kind of main net uh, kind of milestone that we're all kind of uh, walking towards or, or reaching for. Uh, so that should be done and probably by the end of the month or maybe in an extra week or two in March. I'm not really sure off the top of my head. But uh, that'll be pretty close to being done. And at that point, we don't have much left for main net, I think. Uh, we did the node Mamir things we wanted to do, so we wanted to give the, the community control over Mamir rather than uh, I'm a mere admin, which is we've already accomplished that task. Um, we're going to get rid of the caps, which is kind of taking off the training wheels to some extent. Uh, we wanted to add another chain, which is Terra, which will hopefully get finished by the end of the month. So I think mainnet will be, you know, maybe the end of this month or sometime in March, um, which is really exciting. And then once we have mainnet, we kind of kind of shed the, the beta label of you know of chaos then off of the, the project. We can really start opening up um, and opening up some eyes to this what we're doing here. Because some people they see the, the beta kind of label and they kind of get well I don't know it's beta you know it might be blah 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 whatever. But once we have that mainnet level label, it just will give more confidence into the, into the larger community and we can start uh, shielding this project to um, you know dexes to interface with, for example, or wall manufacturers to interface with or um, anything for that matter. Um, growing invest the investors, you know, uh, in terms of like the LPs into the pools, we can start pushing them onto it, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So that, that should start to be kind of a, a, a trigger milestone uh, of uh, triggering the, the position of the larger ecosystem to be like, oh, we're starting a defensive guarded approach and now we've just hit main net. So let's really start kind of pushing and growing. And you'll see that over the course of the next year of, you know, more LPs, more integrations with wallets and exchanges and all sorts of stuff happening over the course of the next year. It'll be a slow process. It's not going to happen like tomorrow, but that's just going to be like, okay, now the race begins. Let's fucking blow this shit out. <laughs> yeah. I just add uh, yeah. Kind of a call to action. If you're in the Terra community working on a project, um, you know, get in touch with us. Um, either at nine realms or, or just in the dev discord. Um, we're here to support your uh, integration on, on whatever it is that you want to do. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like right around the corner, which is so cool after, you know, the, the anticipation and a lot of people, uh, always asking about that. I know it's hard to put exact timings on things, but, uh, it's always exciting for people to hear once something's around the corner and like most of the milestones are, like most of the criteria are really already met and it's kind of just a matter of, of shedding the label and uh, saying, you know, chaos net becomes main net. So that's going to be big. Hey, Orion, I do have a question for you. So um, how is it that, uh, that, so if other apps want to integrate ThorChain, what kind of benefits would that bring towards their app? What would a ThorChain integration look like and how could that benefit other apps from integrating ThorChain into whatever whatever it is that they're doing, whatever kind of business model that they have. Yeah, so so I think like uh, you know, there's kind of the base case of just allowing your users to um, you know use the exchange. Um, but I also think that there's a, a lot of room for really new 
like new products where, you know, uh, with the ETH aggregator, you might um, uh, extend it to, you know, deposit into an LP position with like an asymmetric uh, LP position, um, which would allow, you know, your um, your product on Ethereum to, you know, be generating yield from Thorchain LP. Um, so there's there's things like that. You could combine that and say like, okay, we're going to have a um, you know some sort of index that is like a blue chip index, and like it just participates um, in different um, uh, LP positions or something like that, and then is represented by your ERC twenty token. Um, I think that there's there's applications there. I think there's also uh, you know a lot of opportunity for folks um, in kind of the NFT space that you know might want to have uh, some sort of um, DeFi element uh, there. So there's there's lots of different places that folks could kind of build on top of the aggregators. Um, and those are just a couple kind of pie in the sky ideas that I've been thinking thinking about. Um, but you know, in addition, in addition to kind of the basic functionality of being able to bring you know your BTC into their um, into your uh, ecosystem, uh, I think that there there's a lot of other clever ways that folks can leverage um, what Thorchain has to offer. But the user experience is very familiar. You know, like taking Anchor for example. You know, you can, it would be on the anchor UI, um, you know, the user experience is, is very clean and, you know, ha- people are comfortable with that, but under the hood, they're able to offer a lot more products, um, by, by the integration. Awesome. Yeah. yeah thanks. I, I, I really do think there's a lot of ways for other apps to integrate Thorchain. So uh, it's definitely awesome to hear just a couple of ways that, um, Apps can look into new revenue streams, new customers through offering uh, new coins using Thorchain liquidity. So that's that's really exciting. And yeah, um, so we have we have Flipside Crypto here. But before we um, talk about Flipside, uh, there was a new uh, grassroots crypto video about uh, about Thor nodes and running a Thor node. So. Uh, Chad, would you like to speak a little bit on uh, on running a, a Thor node and uh, yeah, well, I guess what the goal of this video is to attract more uh, node operators and increase the the bonded rune on the network. Yeah, so running a node uh, on Thorchain is not the easiest thing in the world to do from a technical perspective. It's definitely more difficult than running a node for like Ethereum or Bitcoin for that matter, because you don't have to worry about a single daemon to execute, which is obviously a lot more than, a lot less than like seven or eight or nine, whatever the hell the number is today. And so I think the, the intention of this video is just to kind of give um, a basic, like at least a first round kind of starter of like a 101 of like, how do you run a Thor node, right? Um, in terms of the experience of it, like we, we've tried to make it as simple and clean as possible. And so the amount of effort that it takes to actually spin up a Thor node, relatively speaking, is actually not that bad. Even the spinning up of the actual infrastructure on AWS or DigitalOcean or uh, Microsoft Azure or whatever else out there, is like very simple because we have some what's called um, Terraform scripts, which just like automates that process of actually spinning up the actual like physical hardware on the, the cloud provider. Um, and then we have another um, repo of like how we actually install all the software and all the different daemons and configure all the 
uh, the Kubernetes cluster to have these many pods with this kind of memory, blah, 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 and all these like PVC uh, storage, blah, blah, blah. All that stuff's really complicated, but it's all abstracted away for you, which is really, really nice. Um, the negative of all that is that like, uh, by making it so easy for people to spin up a node, like if something goes wrong and then they don't know what PVC is, for example, then they're going to struggle real hard to get to fix their node, in which case, you know, they're going to have to ask people in the Discord, like, hey, I've run into this problem. How do I fix it? And depending upon how technically proficient they are, they might struggle pretty hard. Uh, I'm kind of figuring that out. So I think this first node, the other side, this first uh, video, is kind of a first, at least a first step to help educate our Thor node community, uh, our node operator community, to become more aware, more deep, more informed, more educated, so that they're uh, they can run their nodes more effectively and more consistently. Um, we haven't really had too much of a problem with that in the sense because we've had nodes go offline or, or binding things break or whatever, but like it never actually has. I don't think it's ever actually impacted the actual network. It's caused a single node to go down for a few hours, but that doesn't really matter in the context of the network. So we haven't had much of an issue in this regard, but still you want everybody to be as educated and knowledgeable as possible, obviously. Yeah. Interesting balance between like making it simple, but then, uh, needing people that can actually fix something when it, when something goes wrong. Uh, how would you describe like the ideal person or even like the minimum technical requirements? Like, like who's kind of the, who's kind of like the minimum right person to actually actually try to spin one up um well you can always start from zero that's definitely possible if you have the time if you have the the energy the effort and i mind you that if you if you do actually run a thor node like it's, it's very profitable you can you can literally run, like live the rest of your life on a thorn, on a single, running a single thorn node, like that makes that much kind of, it makes that much money, that much income. You can just live off of it. So, you can consider it to be a full time job, and because it makes that much kind of, that kind of money, then um, it you know it it, it it beseeches you to spend the time and the energy to like, okay, like what is Linux? Starting starting less than one one, starting one hundred here. Uh, what is Linux, and what is a Linux terminal, and how do I? SSH into it, and how do I change directories and, and find my current working directory and all these things? We abstracted away most of that. Even that stuff is like abstracted away from you. We have like little like little scripts that run the background on your behalf, so you need to do those things, which is kind of really nice and easy and convenient. But you should always have to, like, always be able to do that, right? It's almost like um, if you own a car, you don't necessarily need to be a mechanic, right? To you know, to operate the car. But if something breaks, it's probably it'd be a good idea if you, you could, you know, if you could change your own tire, right? You don't want to have to call AAA because you have a, you have a flat tire, but you have something like that kind of relatively simple. Hopefully, you're educated enough to be able to like, you know, get a jack and lift up your car and change out the wheel on your own behalf without requiring, you know, some third party to come into the picture to, to change your tire for you. Um, but yeah, I think you can start from zero. Um, Obviously, uh, somebody who's more knowledgeable is better than somebody who's less knowledgeable, but there's no reason why you can't acquire that knowledge. Yeah, awesome. And, and as like you mentioned, it being so rewarding, I mean, sounds like, you know, a great thing to spend your time on. Obviously, also takes a minimum of what, like 400,000 or so rune um, at the moment. But I believe that's, it works out to roughly a 30% APY, somewhere in that range or um, yeah, it's, it's, it's about that. Um, and even if you don't have 
400,000 room. It, this, this, this is a PR that's open that hasn't been merged yet around a pooled validator where it's possible that you can run a validator and not really have any room at all. And so you provide basically no room and then you get some you know wealthy friends or something like this to provide the room on your behalf. Uh, and then you run it and, and they profit from it and you take up like a percentage of the yield, right? You take like, you know, and you can set it to whatever you want. You can do, you know, hundred percent or you can do 1%, you know, or even less than 1% technically. So like you can, you can uh, have a conversation with your, with your wealthy friends and figure out like, oh, I'm going to take, you know, 10% of the yield, right? And then just, you know, live that way as possible too. So. Uh, you don't necessarily have to be, you know, an ultra wealthy individual. You can just um, have wealthy friends or get a bunch of people together, like a bunch of friends together who all hold a room and kind of team up together to run a, to run node together if you want them to do that. But just make sure that if you're doing that, that you that that the operator is KYC'd because the operator has the ability to to, to steal all the Yggdrasil funds. And if they didn't provide any room to begin with, it's you know it's profitable for them to do that. Like it makes sense economically for them to, to take the funds and, and run away and live on a Cayman Island or whatever it is. So just make sure that, that if you are providing your room to, a, to, to somebody else's node, that you know who that person is. Not so much like Chad Thoreau, which is some, you know, uh, you know, uh, alias on Twitter or Discord, but you actually know who they are uh, and you actually have an identity and you, you know, you trust that person not to run away with your money. <laughs> yeah, don't send me your rune. I, I I don't know how to set up a node, <laughs> but that's <laughs> but that's amazing. I mean, yeah, it, it also like you know that um, that enables uh, yield opportunities for just rune under four hundred thousand rune, right? Which is uh, something that's going to appeal to a lot of people that are under that threshold or don't have the technical ability to set it up. Like now there could be a way to just deploy that and get still like a super healthy chunk of, of that available yield without, um, without as many barriers to entry. Right. Right. Exactly. Cool. Uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's transition into Flipside crypto, uh, for some of this info on analytics and, um, other data we're looking to to put together. Uh, how's it going? Hey, Chad. Uh, yeah, thanks for having us. Um, just a little intro for those that don't know us. Uh, we're Flipside Crypto. We have an open source data and public facing SQL tables for individuals to use and run analytics for free. And we also run bounty programs and scavenger hunts to get new users onboarded into ecosystems. So we've done quite a few different chains. We've done Terra, Ethereum, Solana, and of course, ThorChain. And uh, we've had a long running relationship with ThorChain, somewhat in the background, um, but we've built a ThorChain LP calculator this summer and a ThorChain console this fall that has a bunch of cool key ecosystem metrics. And we've also been running our bounty program in scavenger hunts, where we pay out users in native room to do certain tasks on ThorChain, um, like getting their wallet set up and LPing for the first time. And then we've also built out ThorChain.Vision, which is a web app that lets you access all these tools in one place. Um, so we've been sort of uh, supporting ThorChain for a while. 
And recently we've been talking with uh, JP and Orion and a few others to figure out how to better add value to the ThorChain ecosystem. And one thing we really want to lean into in particular is sort of strengthening this feed feedback loop between us and the rest of the community who want their questions, you know, any sort of data or analytics questions answered. Uh, ThorChain is such a dynamic ecosystem right now. Uh, we're adding more chains very consistently. We're raising caps. We have the sense coming out soon. And uh, up to this point, it's mostly been just a small group of us that have been sourcing these bounty questions, um, which users will then take and run analytics on. And one thing we really want to shift and lean into more is getting some of these key stakeholders, node operators, just more people in the community to sort of come up with these questions um, for us to run through our bounty program. And I think the questions and the results that come from that will be sort of a lot more powerful in that way. And I think uh, we'd also love to sort of be able to take the results from those bounties and present them, present the findings at community, community calls like this. And yeah, just generally trying to help further and drive the understanding of the ecosystem forward from a data and analytics perspective. Yeah, I'd say uh, Flipside has been a really awesome uh, partner and, and a real superpower letting us get kind of introspection into um, the yeah what's happening on the chain and uh, also for just uh, analysis and reporting um, around, you know, kind of key uh, KPIs as well. So it's been a really, really awesome to leverage the work that they've done in their platform. Um, if you if you write SQL or have questions about ThorChain data, I definitely recommend uh, signing up for a for a Flipside account. Yeah, and Orion's been super great, just sort of helping us understand the ecosystem better, um, and also sort of helping to source some of these questions. And yeah, I think one thing we're looking for is more people like Orion that really understand and want to drive certain, um, yeah, just certain findings forward to sort of reach out to us either through our Discord um, and just in terms of things they want to know or understand better about the ecosystem. Awesome. What would be like the best uh, way people can submit uh, ideas uh, to you guys? Yeah, probably the easiest way would be uh, hopping on our Discord. We have a ThorChain channel there and people can come in there and ask questions. Um, and then we also have a sort of bounty sourcing question tool, which um, you can reach out to us to find it. But yeah, probably the easiest way is hopping in our Discord, uh, jumping in the ThorChain channel, and then we can uh, direct you from there. Awesome. Yeah, it's cool to see people uh, like earning rune too by by do, by doing this. So uh, and and providing like really important data to the broader community that kind of helps uh, you know direct focus to like the things that matter and that it, it's like a flywheel with what then products could focus on and things like that. So definitely uh, important stuff you're doing. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. Hey, flip side, is there any uh, interesting like correlations that uh, you guys have found through any of your data analytics? Or uh, what, what kind of data is it that you look at using your guys' data dashboard? 
Yeah, it's been a pretty uh, broad scope of things so far. We've had uh, hundreds of bounty submissions already. Um, but yeah, a lot will be looking at, um, yeah, certain correlations, like when we're adding new change to chains to the ecosystem, how does that help onboard new users or um, general growth of the ecosystem over time? So uh, looking at sort of when new wallets are created and plotting that over time. And you can kind of see, um, yeah, kind of like you're saying, when when uh, the ecosystem adds like Doge, let's say you can see sort of a spike where, where that's happening. Um, so yeah, uh, things like that um, are sort of what, what we look into. Another really cool analysis um, that was done kind of built these uh, sand key diagrams that look at, you know, what is the, you know, if people are going from like BUSD, you know, where are they going? What are they going to and vice versa? Um, that was a really cool um, analysis to be able to kind of better understand, you know, how, what are people swapping between a common in like common and common patterns there. So. Um, I'll try to get a link up to to share that, but that was that came out of uh, uh, Flipside work, which was really cool. Yeah, that's a good point. Angela, one of our data scientists, just messaged me and uh, mentioned one of the interesting findings was how often, uh, like through the Sankey diagrams, Orion was talking about. It's interesting how many people swap uh, from one token to another on the same chain, um, which was surprising to us. You know, we would have thought they would use something like Uniswap if they wanted to go from one ETH token to another. But it's interesting to see users are actually using uh, Thor chain to be able to swap from one ETH token to another, which was really interesting and surprising for us. Yeah, that's a really interesting finding. Uh, brought up Fig as well from Flipside. Do you want to add anything? Yeah. Hey, guys, I'm Fig. I work at the governance team alongside Kellen. Uh, super excited to be working with ThorChain, especially your partnership with Terra. We've been a long believer in Terra um, and actually run our own validator node. So we're really interesting and interested in doing more analyses like that. You know, where is money being, where is money flowing on ThorChain? Um, where are people swapping in and out of and how can we make the network more powerful? So if you guys have any questions, we'd love to see you in the Discord. We got plenty of guys like Kellen and myself who are massive ThorChain guys and happy to answer any questions and find out some really powerful information. Also, it, it, Kellen's, uh, Kellen's been doing a great job, but Angela can speak more to kind of her ThorChain build if she's in the audience as well. Awesome. Yeah, sounds good uh, if, if she wants to pop up. And uh, otherwise, I think this is probably a good time to transition into audience questions. So anyone listening in, uh, feel free to put in a request, just hit that bottom left uh, request button. And then we should be able to go for a while, probably get through everybody. Um, yeah. Uh, Ryan here, I got I got a hop. Um it was, it was awesome chatting with everybody. If, they, if, if anybody has any questions, feel free to reach out. I'm always happy to answer. But uh, yeah, take care all. Awesome. Sounds good. Yeah, uh, I'll just say while we wait uh, a minute for any questions to come up, uh, you know, um, like maybe just like a few good resources for people that may be newer to ThorChain and just kind of looking for more basics. Uh, we run this space every Friday, uh, typically the same time, 12 Eastern. Uh, 
other good it's also the recording is always on RuneBase, which is another great resource for staying up on thorchain news and updates and things like that uh, a few discords to shout out there's lp university which is great for just getting like your walkthrough on uh how to lp and all these various things and getting help with that uh thorswap discord also really helpful if you need uh kind of like more step-by-step just guidance and and using this stuff uh yeah just throwing that out there for anyone that's uh, maybe a bit newer and uh there's a lot of communities that are trying to help uh I- i'm trying to help with this through thorswap like just educate on how to how to guides and uh doing the basics and, and things like that so yeah definitely check those out if you're newer cool pulled up uh green floyd uh, do you have a question hey yeah so i was i had two questions basically so one is uh does uh synth also is a part of consideration to uh going for mainnet basically saying synth and chaos and also uh so what what will be the single sided uh, apy of rune can i expect like i don't want to lp my rune with some other pair so if i have to wait for synth to be on mainnet so what do you guys think will be the uh, apy for a single sided rune will be if you have any idea uh i'm not sure if i caught that first question uh, can you repeat it yeah first question is just uh, that do we also have uh, synth as a priority before we go to mainnet basically uh, synth on chaosnet uh, uh, to be the uh, okay um, i mean i don't have that in my head as being a requirement for mainnet is to have synth live and running it may just coincidentally happen uh, and it may not i don't really have a strong opinion on which direction uh, in, in my mind um The second question you have is what what can we expect to be the yield of a synthetic asset that that correct? Yep, that's right. Okay, so synthetic assets by themselves don't generate a yield at all. Uh they're not they're not like a, an LP position where you're getting yield on the swaps happening and uh, across your pool. Synthetic assets will have a yield opportunity though. Um technically there's actually two. One is going to be uh, what we call Thor savings, which is one of the Thor five features where you can get a fixed rate income on that asset. What the uh, interest will be is depending upon some things. So it's fixed rate in the same sense of like your savings account, like your bank- banking savings account is fixed rate in the sense that um, it stays constant um, and it shifts like once every three months or once every quarter. And so the network will will dynamically shift the the fixed rate every three months to change its its interest rates, um, you know, up or down depending upon you know market conditions and such. Um, I think it on the lower side would probably be a five percent yield. On the higher side, if you go up high as twenty percent, or maybe even potentially higher, not possibly depending on some how things work out. Don't really know though, and I can't really promise you anything. Um, like I said, it's all about market conditions and this kind of thing. So I think. low side 5% high side uh 20% for fixed rate interest um and then the other way you can earn yield on your on your synth is by using IBC and then you know beaming them out to some other cosmos chain um that allows you to do something on their chain whether it be providing um you know um synthetic bitcoin to a synthetic bitcoin pool on osmosis or maybe using a derivatives exchange uh and making money that way or options trading or 
you know, who knows what. That's up to the, uh, the rest of the uh, console ecosystem to kind of figure out what are the different ways you can earn yield on a synthetic asset. Yeah, I think that's a really good thing to to reiterate because um, I'm definitely seeing some confusion around that in the community, like with the talk of uh, synth and single-sided yield, like just to clarify that the synth itself is is just the synthetic asset, but then it in the future, it will be yield-bearing through Thor Savings and these vaults and stuff like that. Uh, right. Also, Green, um, I think I heard in your question that you were um, that you were specifying about rune itself uh in that context and i'm sure chad can can explain this more thoroughly but like uh, i believe that's a bit separate because with the synth being 50 50 back that actually would put cell pressure on rune so it's not ideal so um i believe that's going to be kind of like a different uh scenario well it depends on what the asset is right so um, if you're providing, let's just say, Bitcoin to mint a synthetic Bitcoin or minting a synthetic ETH, it doesn't actually matter. Um, that creates buy pressure on the rune asset because you're increasing the pool uh, depth on the Bitcoin side, the asset side. And so then you need that an arbitrage bot needs to acquire rune from the market to you know dump rune, to swap rune into the pool and then extract some of that Bitcoin you just put in. And so if, you, if you're minting a synth from a... Um, an asset, then it's um, it's a creates a buy pressure on the rune asset. If you're minting synth from a the rune asset, then it creates sell pressure on the on the rune asset because somebody is acquiring Bitcoin from uh, the general market and then swapping the Bitcoin to to, to extrapolate uh, rune out of the system. So it depends on which asset you're doing um, to to mint that synthetic. In fact, there's some, some debates internally of like. Maybe the only way you can pr- produce a synthetic is through an asset and not providing room directly. Uh, but that comes a little bit, you know, with some some um, caveats and things to consider. So I'm not sure if that'll actually happen or not, but uh, it's just one of the thoughts that people were considering. Cool. Yeah, I think uh, I think in his question was just about like earning single sided on rune, like a rune synth. Um, so it sounds like yeah, that bec- that case puts the cell pressure on it. So it's might be a bit different than everything else. Yeah. So there, there is no synthetic rune per se, and therefore store savings is not available for rune holders. And in the, in the current thinking and current design, uh, if you want to earn rune on your rune, um, the best way to do that is providing rune to the security of the network. And that's what we want to do. Like we want all the, you know, as much room as we can get to the security of the network so that the pools can get as large as they can. So in the, in the, uh, in the current moment, that's a little bit difficult because you need to have a lot of room to, to, to contribute room to the bond side. But that will shift in the future with this kind of uh, pool validator thing we talked about earlier in the conversation. And then further downstream, um, this light node or, or vault node concept where uh, you can provide, you know, Hundred room on the on the bond side if you really wanted to, right? Uh, Give you more uh, options in that sense. We want to make sure that all the room is either going to the pools or it's going to the bond side, and so that's kind of the thinking. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. Cryptic girl, uh, do you have a? Or sorry, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, nothing else. Thanks. Oh, cool. Yeah, uh, cryptic girl, you there? Oh, yeah, I'm removing her. She she was up last week too. It didn't say anything. So see you. <laughs> <laughs> not sure. Was, <laughs> yeah, not sure if it's just a a bat, a mic issue or just wants uh, clicks on the profile. <laughs> well, she just unmuted herself. I guess she's might be ready. Nah, she's gone. Well, 
<laughs> okay. All right. Any more questions uh, or things? Go ahead. Uh, I'm already here. Yeah. So, uh, what do you guys think about uh, like this BNB native uh, scale search, right? So, like Binance, uh, how how much do you think that Binance will add native support of uh, like? Do we literally, as a community, need to pressure them, or like? They will after a certain point there will be so less of liquidity on in BNB room that they will automatically uh, try to add support of native. What do you think about that? Uh, hopefully, I'm not sure if I understood your question, but uh, I think so you I'm just heard. asking. I'm just asking. What do you see as a, a scenario that Binance will be adding the native support? Right. Currently, it's only BNB. So one case will be that uh, many people have switched their B- runes. Two natives, so there is literally very less liquidity in BNB, which is remaining. The other case is, uh, I mean, probably communities asking them, and a lot of community people are asking them, so they will do that. So, what scenarios can happen? Yeah, so um, we, the core people, had um, many conversations with, uh, you know, Binance and other exchanges about listing the native asset. Um, I have to be careful about how I word this. Uh, <laughs> um, it's always been very problematic um, because uh, I think Binance in part listed BEP2 because uh, it was their own token. It was a part of their own network and they want to support their own you know, systems. Um, and, we, and by far, you know, that two room was like, you know, the most outside of Binance specific coin owned, owned by Binance. Uh, it was by far the most successful bet to uh, asset by good margin. And so, it, you know, um, they listed it in part because of that, you know, that value proposition to them. And they had to be seen uh, to be supporting their own ecosystem. Um, getting them to, we tried in the past to get them to, 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 to list native room. Uh, and it just feels like we always just kind of get this like, uh, this kind of a runaround. Um, and that's the same with a lot of other centralized exchanges that we've had competition with. It's just always just kind of a runaround, um, which is to me is, is not um, just further cements for me why I just hate centralized exchanges and how it's, uh, they always want an absorbent amount of money and then give them crazy amounts of, of tokens as well. Uh, and it's, uh, it's always just like such a pain. Um, that's for the reason why centralized changes are just the worst things in the world in some sense. Um, so we effectively, despite many months of conversations with many different exchanges, uh, in attempts and attempts and attempts and getting these kind of, um, oftentimes bullshit ex- excuses of why they don't want to list the token that just is completely nonsensical and is devoid of any kind of like rationale. Uh, we just kind of feel like, um, that we're not going to waste more time and energy into such a thing just because it's, it's, it's just a huge pain in the ass uh, and they're just so resistant to doing so. And we're trying to, you know, in a sense, like remove the need of them anyways. So uh, if any such other states wants to list room uh, as a native asset onto their exchange, we would definitely be open to that. But um, we spent way too much time on this stuff and it's it just burnt a lot of resources for us and it's just not worth the time anymore at this point, to be honest with you. Yeah, and, and by doing this this kill switch plan though, like that's in a way going to like 
softly force them to catch up unless they just want their bags to go to zero, right? <laughs> yeah, so Binance does hold like a, a large quantity of F2 room, right, in their, like, in their cold wallet, and that's not a secret. Um, and so once this kill, kill switch starts to come kind of happening, and it, if it does happen, it hasn't really been determined that that will happen, but it's just an idea that, that the core devs have loaded to the community to kind of mull over and think about and process and kind of get a sense of how they feel about it. Um, yeah, that will force them in a sense to, to, to kind of either move over with the, with the chain and, and list native rune or, you know, you know, or lose their bags, you know, and, uh, something else. So, uh, they have to figure out for themselves have to come with, come with the project or don't. And either way, uh, to be honest, I don't really, really care. I mean, I bet, I mean, I would prefer they come with the project obviously and, and move with us, but if they don't. I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. We're still going to move forward. We're still going to advance the greater crypto, you know, infrastructure. Uh, however they feel about it, it's not going to change a thing for me. Yeah, ultimately, this whole thing is kind of a replacement for that system, right? Like, ideally, ideally, it doesn't matter at all. <laughs> yes, I, ideally, it doesn't matter at all because eventually, like, um, like we only care about centralized exchanges today. Because we think that it creates a lot more liquidity, and fun fundamentally it does. But like once we get to a place where you, it's so easy to, to to acquire any and all assets within your own wallet, like in, in your trust wallet, or in your ledger, or in your exits, or wherever it is the thing that you have, like you don't give two shits about central exchanges. All you care about is like where do I buy some Bitcoin? Okay, Coinbase or Gemini or Binance or whatever. And you acquire your Bitcoin or you acquire your, your app or whatever the hell it is. And from that point, you can just go ahead and acquire what the fuck you want. Like it, be, it becomes, you know, uh, you know, a no brainer. Like, why would you want to go through the UI of a centralized exchange and pay all those fees? And like, it, it takes like a friggin' an hour and a half to do it. You have to upload your Bitcoin, which takes like an hour and a half for them to fucking observe it. And then you finally get it. And then you have to like trade it internally. And then they hold it for some period of time. And then you try to withdraw it. And it's like, oh man, like it, the whole process just fucking sucks. You know, and we, we do it because we have to, not we don't do it because we love it. Nobody loves using their centralized exchange. Like it just doesn't exist. But we all love to like use our wallets and to say, oh, I have Bitcoin and I want it there. Done. <laughs> that becomes such a simple thing. Like it's just kind of silly in some respect. So in the long term, these such exchanges are going to be, you know, going to have a trouble. They're going to have some major issues. You know, in the short term, you know, they can go ahead and reign as kings of the crypto world, but their days are numbered in that sense. For sure, agreed. Like as soon as on ramping to your own wallet is more simple, like that'll that'll kick it out. Because I mean, right now it's just like a it's just the normie argument, right? It's like if you're getting somebody that's brand new, like oh, how do I buy Rune? It's like well, set up a wallet and protect your seed phrase and transfer to ThorSwap. It's like it can be a lot for somebody that's like completely brand new. But as that becomes abstracted away and becomes really simple, then why would you want to let a company uh, control all your funds and oh, yeah? I, I'm with you. Uh, I have a quick question on uh, related to the to the kill switch in a way. Um, yeah. So obviously, like like you know, there's all the, like the talk about phasing out BEP two rune, phasing out ERC twenty rune because native rune is what is actually useful in the network. But then at the same time, we're talking about uh, like introducing IBC rune. So I'm curious, like, how do you think about that, and like, why is that case 
uh, different, or maybe you don't think it's different, but, um, yeah, it's like the phasing out of two while phasing in of one, uh, curious about that. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's, it, to me, it's different because, uh, an IBC rune, which technically is also a wrapped asset because whenever you're using IBC, you're always wrapping assets and then minting them somewhere else. It is derived from, it's, it's almost like, uh, I think this way, ERC 20 rune, uh, native rune itself is derived from ERC 20 rune and depth two rune. Like every native rune that exists, every single one of it, uh, in the current Thorchain network was minted from a ERC 20 or BEP2 rune. That's where, that's where it comes from. IBC rune is minted from the native asset, right? So the, right now, the BEP2 asset and then ERC 20 asset is kind of like the, the, the lowest point of, if you, if you kind of think of like hierarchy of like, you the lowest point there and the native rune and then IBC rune sits on top of it. The idea is that you want that native rune to be like the lowest point, to be the, the kind of the anchor, if you want to call it that. And so, and so once we remove that kind of what is currently the, the anchor of UC20 and, and, and BEP2 in the sense of like you start from there and then you mint uh, native room, then you get to a place where, where native room becomes the, the anchor of the network and anchor of every other uh, you know, rune wrapped asset that exists in whether you know, it exists in IBC or whatnot, it derives from the native asset, which is what we kind of want to do. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. No, thank you. That's a great answer. And um, that puts it into perspective, right? It's like uh, BEP2 was a way to mint native rune effectively out of thin air in a sense, right? Like, I mean, it's a one-to-one exchange, but you're minting native rune, whereas like this is going the other way. It's like, okay, now native rune is the base and we can, you know, beam out IBC representing that. Right, right. Yeah, every every native rune is it's minted from and burned from a BEP2 asset or ERC20 asset. Right. And plus, just like uh, from the useful perspective, it's like, what do you do with BEP2 rune? Whereas like, what might you do with IBC rune? Well, there's probably going to be, you know, liquidity pools on Osmosis and whoever, like what other products like people integrated into, like there's going to be a whole suite of potential things probably. Yeah. I mean, the only reason why you hold BEP2 rune really is... Um, is for speculative purposes, right? And maybe you'd like the um, the support of the year, the BEP2 asset better, like in terms of how many wallets support it and how easy it is with Ledger, which and now you can get Ledger on Ruin today. It wasn't true, you know, a couple months ago. Um, and maybe you want access to like, you know, a Binance Dex to, to swap between a stable coin or BNB or whatever. But as we as we burn more BEP2 rune into native rune, then like the the speculative purpose of um, the BEP2 rune becomes like dwindles, right? Because there's less liquidity. So if you have a lot of BEP2 rune, like your ability to actually move it becomes uh, less and less and less the more the BEP2 gets kind of minted into uh, native rune. Uh, so um, it becomes less useful over time, you know, and that's part of the reason why I think we see, um, yeah, yeah. And that will be good for the native rune price also. I mean, they will essentially be burning their BNB rune if they don't switch it. Yeah, the BEP2 the rune price is different from um, native rune in part because um, the network ensures, it's like, the network ensures that the, that the bottom price of that two rune is the native rune price. 
But that tier one can, can technically trade above that, and that's because of like the liquidity there is different than liquidity on native room, right? Um, I don't think there's a lot of people like um, you know trying to acquire native uh, two run over native room personally. Maybe maybe I'm wrong about that, but um, I think it's just like mostly just market makers and and like people who have very little interest in the actual project and they're just trying to find opportunities to like trade on Binance Dex and centralized Binance servers that you know market make and and you know day trade all oh, the. the there's a, oh, the cup and handle movement here with the dead cat bounce and boat like whatever the hell this stuff is. Um, but yeah, over the long term, it'll, it will let me go away. And the point of the kill switch is to kind of like, you know, accelerate that process, get it, get it out of our, get it out of our hearts, get it out of our minds so we don't confuse the hell out of other people coming into the space later. Yeah. It'll be funny to like see it flip the other way too, because with the, with the phase out, it's like what you might see. At some point, BEP2 Rune might be trading for like 50% off or something because now it's only redeemable for for that much less in the future. So that that'll be and that'll hopefully put pressure on, um, you know, on everyone. Right. Well, obviously, right. it will put pressure on them to get out at that point. But people will have to know what they're that they're holding this dying. Uh, this they're not the holding the real thing. And it's just it's just dwindling. Yeah. Yeah, and if they start just, just dumping back two into like a stable coin or something, I was like, Psh, I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we have Jax up here. I, I don't think you asked already, right? No, I don't think so. Okay, yeah. Go for it. Uh, you hear me? Yep. Uh, hi, everyone. Uh, hope you are well. Uh, like uh, Chad said at the beginning, we have the main net which is coming very soon. So I think that we will have the planet obsolescence. Uh, do we have other team, uh, other than Nine Realm, who contact the team to help uh, to work on torsion on the future? Okay, I think the question was: We have planet obsolescence coming up. And what is Nine Realms' um, support in that, or how they're going to move forward? Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. So, Planet Obsolescence, if you don't already know, is the intention that the to be the the, the process in which the original kind of um, core team kind of dissipates and um, lets the community take over, similar to how Satoshi created Bitcoin and other developers came into the space over time. And then eventually um, the network just didn't really need Satoshi so much anymore because there are other people who are doing that work and stuff. Allowing Satoshi to kind of back out of the project and let the community kind of take it over. Um, I'm kind of inspired by that personally. I think we were the team inspired by that personally of that, of that kind of like restraint and to like not, you know, become the, the face of it forever and, and, and kind of control it forever. Once it's kind of born and you have your ideals and your culture set, let the community kind of do what the community does best. And so the plan obsolescence is kind of that, that kind of moment where we start that process. It won't be, I don't think see it as, a, as, a, as like a single moment occurs and like everybody's gone. It's not, it's not that kind of like, you know, quick. Uh, it's a process that it's going to happen over, you know, weeks or months or whatever the hell that's needed. And now, of course, it's going to be done in a way that's like safe and that like, you know, people don't, you know, leave too quickly or too early or whatever. Um, I think for somebody like myself, for example, 
um, you know, I won't be involved in the day-to-day like development anymore, but I'll be involved with like reviewing PRs and making sure that everything kind of is maintaining a certain kind of code quality and that kind of thing, and staying on as like an advisor. And then at some point in the, later in the future, I'll kind of back off on that and, and so forth and so on. So eventually, once the I feel confident that the, the community has got a good head in their shoulders in a sense, and they can they can take it off, and I'm not. You know, um, I feel confident in their ability to do so in maintaining the security, maintaining quality, maintaining the um, focus on decentralization and all these kind of important aspects that I kind of um, thought about when being involved in this project in the earlier days. Um, Nine Realms is coming on to, to aid in that project, and they've been super helpful in that, in that way. Um, they brought in a lot of different core developers to contribute to the core protocol. Orion was up here earlier talking about Thor games. Pluto has been working on the stage net and helping with like chain integrations um, and w- much more things um, happening as well from the Nine Realms team. So they'll continue to be kind of involved. Uh, the playing options doesn't really apply to those guys so much. It's more so much the um, founding or original you know members of the uh, core devs. Got it. Thank you. Welcome. Were there uh, any other people that wanted to come up for questions? You can raise your hand. Uh, there's uh, some Bitcoin laser eyes up here. Uh, if you, if you want to ask uh, whatever it is that you're curious about to uh, you know one of the core devs of the protocol. We can give that a second, and then if not, wrap up. Well, it's all good. We, we host these uh, every single week, so there's always plenty of time for, uh, for questions. And uh, you know we, we always appreciate having... Devs on here, Ryan, Chad, Pluto, whenever you can come on, Gavin, uh, for coming on and talking about uh, all the development and why um, why these things matter and why uh, why Thorchain is important and why we care about it as community members. Because uh, I mean, that's all that's all me and Chad are. We're just community members that are uh, you know that I'd like to see what is going on in this space and uh, believe in the mission. So uh, thanks, thanks, Chad, for uh, all your contributions. Thanks for hopping on with us today. Thank you, guys. Talk to you next week. Yeah, thanks for coming on. And for everyone uh, listening, I know people hop in and out and come in late, but these are always uh, recorded as well. So you can catch it as a podcast on RuneBase. So if you missed it and you want to listen to the whole thing, it's always there. And uh, usually live every Friday at 12 Eastern. So yeah, tune in for the next one. Cool. All right. That's it. Yep. Peace. All right. It's familiar. Later. I'll catch you guys later.